My name is Zakira, and you are listening to the Living Legacy Podcast. I am a brand cultivating strategist, a cancer survivor, and a camera saved my life. In this podcast, we'll be sharing stories featuring women that I admire. And lo and behold, you never know, I may interview some of my favorite men. In this podcast, you will learn about professionalism, you'll learn about business, you'll learn about travel. I have traveled to 10 countries so far, and now it's my turn to teach you and inspire you to step outside of your country zone. Any suggestions you have, any topics you want to discuss in this podcast, send me an email, leave a comment. Please be sure to subscribe and download. Today's podcast episode is all about Islam, the religion of peace, how it played a role in career and life. And this is actually my first episode with my first male guest, who happens to be my father. He will share his life story of how religion has always played a role uh, since his teenage years how Islam came into his life and how he converted to Islam and how it then shaped his his life, his businesses, his jobs, his marriages, his life as a father, and so on and so forth. I will also share with you some well-known rappers, actors, and comedians who were either born Muslim or have converted to Islam. This may be the longest episode, the most real episode, and the most raw episode I have recorded yet. I don't even think I've talked about the thing that I would talk about in this episode outside of a journal or one-on-one conversations. If I've, you know, for example, growing up, if someone was asking me about the scarf I wear on my head, also known as a hijab, or if it was the holy month of fasting month of Ramadan and people were asking me questions about fasting. I will also tell you more about how I'm not a perfect Muslim and how I deal with that on a day-to-day basis because like any religion, like any form of practicing, it can be difficult. It can be difficult to be consistent. It can be difficult to uh, maintain your connection to God. I just want to start off with saying I am a God girl and I believe in God. This episode is really going to be all about education. There's so much going on in this world. And there's so many, you know, easy, easy misconceptions. There's, there's the big word of Islamophobia, you know. And this episode, like all of my podcast episodes, are all about positivity, are all about resilience and adversity. Islam currently in this world has 1.5, almost 2 billion people who practice the religion. Maybe not out loud, but they practice the religion. So one thing that I've grown to learn and one thing that I kind of take away, uh, if anything, no matter what challenges I'm facing through my own personal battles, is that Islam is simple, humanity is not. (laughs) So, you know, all of all the misconceptions and misunderstanding, it's literally because there's just, just so much ignorance in this world. I've struggled with my identity as a Muslim because... I've always been the only one growing up in, in, in all of my schools, except for the one time I did go to an Islamic school, also known as a private school, uh, for my fifth grade year. While I was at that school, um, you know, I, was, I learned so much about, you know, our holy book of the Quran, and I learned so much about so many different cultures. For me, um, 
it, I, it, it helped me to really develop those international relationships and friendships. It also helped me to be a humble human being. So even though as an adult, my photography class had two other Muslim females who I became friends with and got along with and learned so much from. And no matter what, I just know that I will always be a Muslim because I choose the religion itself because it makes me a better person. It's the reason why I am so fearless in a lot of other people's eyes. Um, it's the reason why I still keep going even when things are difficult in life, in career, in marriage, with my health, everything that's going on because I literally have always just, as I say, handed over to God. You know, just like this, one of my favorite songs, by India Ivy. It's called I Am Not My Hair. And ironically, it features Akon, who is also a Muslim. He was born in a predominantly Muslim country of Senegal, which is in West Africa. The thing about modesty, that's, that's the thing when it comes to Islamic wear or Islamic garbs. Their purpose for them is for modesty, which means no tight-fitting, no skin-showing, no boob-showing type of clothing items. But everyone is different and to each its own. But at least for me, I am comfortable with with if there are moments where, okay, I will get my hair done, I will wear it out. Does not make me any less than a Muslim who does not pray five times a day. You know, it's just to each its own with how you practice your religion. My parents were not strict in the sense of you must be a Muslim, and if you're not a Muslim, we will abandon you, <laughs> you know? Because unfortunately, there are some situations where there are people who have converted to Islam or are they're called reverts, and they found the religion, they found that sense of peace on their own, but their own family disowned them. And that's unfortunate because Islam is supposed to be a religion of, of community, of love and peace and happiness. But God is the most forgiving. My dad will talk a little bit more about it, but you'll also learn that there's really a big difference between the word faith and the word religion because it's really a religion. Religion is the, the way you live, what helps you to define your character. You know, what helps you to remind yourself between the difference between right and wrong. My parents converted to Islam, so I was always just, you know, torn by all the different cultures. The culture of, first of all, being an African-American woman and then being a cancer survivor and then being hard of hearing. Um, and so I, I attended an Islamic school. It was great. I got to strengthen my uh, studies in the, the Arabic language, which is the original language of the holy book. But at the same time, the thing about reading the holy book is that, you know, it, it, you can translate it to whatever language you speak in. You can pray in whatever language you speak because God created all these languages, so he knows when you're talking to him. It just became more and more difficult as I was living on my own as a young adult. Now, one of the things about Islam is that it really does protect its women. The women are not necessarily supposed to be alone on their own. Uh, they are encouraged to be married and not sleeping around and not dating around and not to be the man's slave. <laughs> That's not the purpose of marriage. Marriage is supposed to be a partnership, but because women are so important, because women are so valuable, so much closer to God, because they're the ones who pretty much bring humans through the earth, from God through the woman, right? And so as a result, when it comes to the month of the holy month of Ramadan, when you're fasting, you don't 
the, most women, if you are already on your menstrual cycles, you're not required to fast. If you are carrying a child, you're not required to fast. If you have any other medical conditions, high blood pressure, PCOS, you are not required to fast. And fasting means from sunup to sundown, eating and drinking nothing for 30 days. It was good for me to live on my own while I was in Maryland. I wasn't fully alone because I was near family. I was near family members and friends. Sometimes it did get lonely because, once again, I'm the only one. It's literally just me, my mom, and my dad in our religion, you know? So sometimes it does get lonely. And, of course, the older I got, the, older, the more I understood why I was always just finding family members and friends. I was finding my sisters, right? Because that's what we call each other. We call each other brothers and sisters because, again, we are one. But I was literally just finding sisters and, and my friends and the, the aunties that I call, the, the women who look out for me, you know, whenever my mom was working. I'm going to mention a few names that you may recognize who are rappers, actors, and comedians. A lot of them are African-American. I'm just going to run down a few names that you may recognize who are actually Muslim. Raekwon, A Tribe Called Quest, Dave Chappelle. Ice Cube, Buster Vines, French Montana, DJ Khaled, Most Def, Lupe Fiasco. Now, um, there are plenty of other athletes, such as, of course, Muhammad Ali, who converted, then Mike Tyson, also converted, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, converted as well. And then there's some singers, other singers who are Muslim. So Jermaine Jackson. Now this one is 50-50. 50-50 had it that Michael Jackson did take Shahada, which is the, the oath um, that you say in order to accept Islam. Um, there was there's Zayn Malik, also known as Zayn. He used to be in um, One Direction. There's Mashahala Ali, who is known for... Um, House of Cards, The Green Book, Luke Cage. He is married to a non-Muslim, but he converted. Another athlete is Hakeem Olajuwon, converted. There was a singer, a, a European singer, who went by Cat Stevens, but eventually converted to Islam and, and changed his artist name to Yusuf Islam. Growing up, I listened to Yusuf Islam's song at summer camps. There was a point where I was in elementary school, and every summer, I had maybe just two summers, I, got, I was able to go to a Islamic summer camp, which, again, also helped me to strengthen my deen, strengthen my um, understanding of the Holy Book. And those songs stay with me to this day. I um, automatically became a Muslim because I was born into the religion. Just like the current U.S. immigration laws requires you to automatically become a U.S. citizen if you were born to a citizen. For example, if I have a child with my husband, who is a born Muslim because he's from the predominantly Muslim country of the Gambia, in West Africa also, which is inside of a country of Senegal before the French and the British wanted to split it, they will automatically become Muslim. Now, the thing about, the, you may be familiar with a lot of Muslim and non-Muslim marriages. So there's examples like Amal and George Clooney. Amal is a Muslim. George, not so much. <laughs> um, Iman, the, the model, uh, even though she married David Bowie, um, she, 
that that's the one of the rare instances where it was reversed, where the the woman is a Muslim and the man is not, or the man converts. You're supposed the men are supposed to you know accept Islam. But again, to each its own is how much you practice it. Because the minimum, the bare minimum you should do to claim that you are a Muslim is your prayers, is being charitable, is fulfilling Hajj or pilgrimage, as well as fasting in the month of Ramadan. But there are exceptions. You know, there are certain exceptions. But those are studying the Quran, fasting, there's like five pillars. Studying Islam, fasting, uh, giving charity, uh, fulfilling Hajj or pilgrimage. I truly believe that there is only one God, and Muhammad is his messenger. But there also are many, many prophets. Jesus is a prophet traveling to a Muslim countries. Like my first, not only was my first African country, uh, Ghana, but it was also originally a Muslim country because a lot of the slaves who were Muslim came from Ghana. So that was an eye-opening, culturally, religiously eye-opening experience for me because I had to learn firsthand the history that I've been reading from the books at home because they didn't always teach this history in school. And even though I personally do not pray all five prayers, my dad will say this as well, but Islam is within me. My connection to God is strong because I'm always in conversion. Yeah, this is just going to be a really good episode. Thank you for listening. If you have been listening um, to all five episodes so far, if you've been subscribing and downloading episodes, thank you so much. Without you, I would not be continuing to do this. I would not be continuing to share my story. So thank you for listening. If this is your first time, I hope you stick with me because we are going to go on a roller coaster ride. <laughs> the interview has so many gems, and you get to learn just how amazing my dad is. And also, I'm truly my dad's daughter. <laughs> there are so many similarities, which if you have been listening to previous episodes, you'll pick up on. You may hear some uh, vehicles passing by in the background, and it kind of adds sound effect, but my parents live in my dad's hometown of Edward, Tennessee, but they live right along a state highway. If you want to learn more about Islam, you can check out the podcast called One Foot in the Sink. The website is also called onefootinthesink.com to hear more stories about Muslim lifestyles and entrepreneurship and those who have run a business and have reverted or converted to Islam. Uh, my name is Abdul Hadi Muhammad L. And what do you do? I am retired. What did you do before you retired? I did many things. I was commissioner of transportation for the city of Atlanta. I also owned a transportation company at one time. I most recently retired from driving a truck and owning a truck. Uh, and I retired from that about six years ago. And I have been retired since, 19, since 2012. So it's seven years now, 2019. Well, now, now, 2019, recently. Time flies. Yeah, yes, time flies. So, tell me about the time, the first time that Islam came into your life. Let me, let me step back a few steps. Religion, uh, the formal, uh, I'd have to even speak of formal religion 
when did that person came, come into my life? And that was part of the process of coming to Islam. When I was 16 years old, I attended, uh, uh, there, was, there, there was an evangelist who passed uh, about two years ago named Billy Graham. And I attended a Billy Graham crusade for seven years. Uh, prior to that, and right after that, I had committed myself to become being a Christian minister. And seven days at that event held in Columbus, Ohio, at Jet Stadium, which was the major baseball team in Columbus at the time, uh, uh, featured Billy Graham, and I attended that for seven days. And that was the beginning of my religious uh, odyssey. Now, Islam, I, I'm giving you that background because it leads up to Islam. After attending that crusade for seven days, I returned to my home. My mother at the time, I should mention, she lived in Columbus, Ohio, and I lived with my grandparents in uh, uh, Athens, Tennessee, or Etowah, Tennessee. And when I returned to, I was spending the summer up there with, with her, she and my stepfather and my two brothers. And when I returned to Tennessee at fall, I was, I was, at the time I was, uh, my first year of high school, I believe it was, uh, my whole life changed. And I made a commitment then to make religion, former religion. I, I, I really didn't know about Islam at the time. I really didn't know, I didn't really know what it was. But the former religion, I like the set, the setting. I like what they were trying to achieve, and I like what they were trying to accomplish. So when I returned to Athens, Tennessee, at the time, my whole life changed. You know, uh, prior to that, I was just another. Well, I guess I wasn't ordinary. I was six two, two hundred pounds, and that was kind of large for a person my uh, my age. I'm from. I guess I was, I, mean, I guess I was 13 at the yeah, time. Yeah, as soon as you hit puberty, you kind of had a, a spike. Yeah, you know, my, my voice my voice deepened when I was uh, eight or nine years old. Mm -hmm. So when I returned to Athens at the end of that summer, my whole sake of being changed. I no longer used profanity at the time. I, I don't think I could say two words that I say. One of the four-letter words, okay? After I returned from that, summer uh, sabbatical in Columbus, Ohio. It was a very vis vis visual change. Uh, of course, everybody commented about, whoa, Art, Art Tabor, that was my name at the time, uh, had changed. You know, I became a, a dedicated athlete. I became a dedicated student and stuff, so forth and so on. Wasn't, wasn't really a bad student before. I wasn't really a bad athlete before. But I returned, I returned to Columbus, I mean, returned to Athens, Tennessee, and I rededicated myself to these things. So ironically, I think it was the summer that I returned. I was on the playground in Athens, Tennessee at a, at a high school. I attended back in the day, they were segregated high schools. It was all mostly, I think it was all African American, so called African American is what we were, we were called then. And 
I heard a man, a young young fellow named Merrill Williams, who I'll never forget his name. I didn't know him. He was three grades ahead of me. But he had spent his summer in Chicago. And he said he met some people in Chicago, some, 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 some as we call them, African-American people at the time. And he said that his interpretation was they really didn't like white people. And I said, hmm. That was unheard of where we were, because, you know, there was such a vast, remember there wasn't integrated schools or anything at that time. Because this was in the 19... This was obviously in about 1962, uh, mm-hmm. I believe the year was. Maybe 61, 1961. And he said there were some people that he met up there some some Asiatics or African Americans or whatever what you call them, us at the time. He said they didn't didn't even like white bread. Only bread that we ate, only bread that I knew of at the time, was white sliced bread. He said they ate brown bread, and his interpretation was fact that they uh, they liked black people so much they even ate um, brown bread. Of course now. Later on, I found that wheat bread and so forth. That was that's the first time Islam had really pierced my mind. You know, and I didn't think nothing about that. I have I, I don't remember seeing Merrill Williams since then. We were in different grades. We were just on a common playground. Now it's uh, a few week, few years ago. We had it's now a uh, they integrated schools in '66. The location of the high school now is a city park. And um, Athens, Tennessee, but that was the first contact I'd had with Muslims. Only recently, I mean, within the last three years, a friend of mine, a fellow who became a friend of mine in high school and continues to be a friend of mine today, his name is Dr. William Gibson, and uh, he he mentioned to me and he he and a fellow named uh, Collier, Ewing Collier who later became a, a colonel or a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. And uh, he told, we, uh, Dr. Gibson said, well, you were be, you were becoming a Muslim back in high school. And I had no knowledge of that. I had no knowledge of consciously uh, accepting anything about Islam. I didn't know anything about Islam. I didn't think I knew anything about Islam. But he said that today, and that was, as recent as three years ago, he said that, and I, of course, he and I are friends, continue to be friends, and Allah has blessed us with staying on this earth for all these years. He's 70. We all are 71. I'm 71. Collier's 71, and, uh, and uh, Dr. Gibson is 71. And so I guess, unofficially, that began my odyssey on the path to, to Islam, and I continue on that path today. So how old were you when you recall officially converting to Islam, taking the shot of the old? Eventually I converted to Islam probably in, I think it was 1969, I think. That, that was 1970. And what it was, I had been to Vietnam, I'd been to the military, and so forth and so on. I had... Uh, my major in high school was theology, and I was to, I was to become uh, a minister in the United Presbyterian Church, 
which was my church of choice of those days. But I, I went to, after, after going to military, after going to Vietnam, after going to military in general, I'd spend four years in the military and a couple of years in the National Guard. I think it was 1970 or 71 that I officially took my Shahada and accepted Islam. And of course, I'm still practicing Islam today. So, and I've gone through all kinds of stages as far as Islam is concerned, certain degree of studies. But since then, I've been blessed in having Islam influence all phases of my life. So, then, after, so after you officially converted, this was what, in Atlanta? Let's say 71. Okay, 71. So by then, you were settling into Atlanta, Georgia. Well, I grew up in a little town called Etowah, Tennessee. And that was about a hundred and I'd say forty miles from Atlanta. Atlanta was a big recruitment center, so I joined the military there uh, in Atlanta in nineteen and sixty-five. Okay, so I mean I was very familiar with Atlanta beforehand. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I took I graduated from college in nineteen and seventy-three. I graduated from college in Columbus, Ohio a school called Franklin University. And then I moved to Atlanta in 1974. Okay. And while I was in Atlanta was when I when I accepted Islam and take my Shahada and so forth and so on. And I accepted Islam and under the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. It was called the Nation of Islam at that time. And that's where I first accepted uh, Islam first t- took my. We didn't call it Shahada then. We were we had to. We didn't call it Shahada, and now thousands and hundreds and thousands, probably millions of people, are benefiting from our, including you, of course, because later on I met my wife, Qaeda, uh, and and uh, she had, she had accepted Islam, under the uh, Honorable Elijah Muhammad in New York under the same premise. So, uh, that my acceptance of Islam was in 1971, and then that really began my odyssey in Islam. And it, you know, after several marriages and going to several continents, uh, I'm, I'm here now. So, how has Islam uh, shaped your businesses? Businesses in terms of financial businesses, entrepreneurial businesses, and oh yeah. yeah. It's everything. One thing that Islam has led me to led me to was I don't look at everything as far as money. Okay. Now before I really looked at anything as far as bottom line, hundred thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, million dollars. When I when I led to Islam, I became more conscious in terms of what <coughs> impact. Uh, I would have had on on certain things. For instance, um, when I came to Atlanta, now prior to coming to Atlanta, I was kind of I was going to college in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, meanwhile I drove a city bus. Everything was going in to make an end meet. That's what it was. Then I studied uh, at Franklin University. I studied. Business administration. I want to go into business because be formally become become a member of business. I like. I want to learn how to do business. I graduated from a four year program in two years and 
three months. Of course, I really wanted to get out of school. I was tired of going to school. I'd been in formal education for a lot of years and so forth and so on. But when I came to Atlanta, I had a whole different view. Islam had influenced me to have an entirely different view about this. I came to Atlanta, first applied for a job at J.C. Penney, but it was one of the big companies in the nation at the time. Yeah, it's still around. The system was going through an economic downturn. We've heard that. Mm -hmm. Several of them have happened since you, since since your life and, and before. So I, I couldn't get the job. So I also discovered at that time uh, that I really didn't know that there was such a big difference between Christians and, <laughs> and Muslims. I was very naive, uh, Christians and Muslims at that time. And I found out once I declared for Islam, and I, of course I, you know, I, I didn't keep a secret on that, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't suave enough to keep it a secret. I'd tell everybody I'm a Muslim. Then I discovered that it wasn't really easy. Uh, even though I had a, I, I didn't, didn't have a criminal record, didn't have any of the things about that would keep me from getting a job outside of my skin color. And I discovered that then I had taken on not only the, the obstacle of skin color, but in, in some systems, I consider it to be a tremendous asset but it seems to be to some folk an obstacle. And you are a Christian. I mean, you are a, a Muslim, a Muslim, as I say now. And they really didn't have a preference. They didn't prefer a Muslim over a Christian or even to an equal extent. So I found out that was an obstacle. So at the time, I, I, I used my business background to open my own business. Okay. And I decided to go in a taxi cab, driving a taxi cab. And a friend of mine told me, Man, you'd like to drive, which I do, which I still do. And he said, uh, he was from Washington, D.C. He was living in Washington. He was an ex-Marine and everything. And he said, uh, why don't you, I heard that, that one, I can't pass this test that they gave people in Washington to become cab driver. He said, I can't pass the test. He said, I know you're good at passing tests and doing this and that. I was living in Atlanta. I went down to City Hall, or public safety really, to police station, and I found out what it required and I passed all the required tests. And about a week and a half later, I was uh, driving a taxi, okay? But in, a, in about another seven days, I bought my own car, officially. My first car was a Ford Fair. Was my first my, my, my first car. My first taxi was a four door Ford Fairlane. That was a that was a car I bought and converted to a taxi. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, I drove for a company called Car for Hire, and that was a traditionally a black company that was formed under during the time of uh, Martin Luther King, and it was during the time when. Uh, uh, Asiatics or African Americans were trying to integrate the transportation system. That were and 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 they they weren't going to sit on the back of the bus anymore. This goes back to so uh, car for hire was formed as a company to help black people get around. Okay, so I worked for that company. It made sense to me. I worked for it intentionally. So then uh, I began to learn very swiftly what the business of uh, vehicle for hire, a taxi cab, which also covered that. Later on, they, 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 they 
included horse and buggies and limousines. At the time, it would only include a taxi cab. So uh, that was the first business that I had. Eventually, you know, it goes on to some more things we can discuss later. But uh, uh, that was the first business, per se, that I opened. So this is probably, it's maybe, it's on track, but off track at the same time. But how many cars have you owned since then? Uh, do you mean taxi cabs or do you mean uh, just regular automobiles? All kinds of automobiles. Um, probably 15, 20. 15, 20? Maybe, maybe more than that. Uh, now keep in mind that at one time I owned eight taxi cabs at one time. So that would be if you had to include just any cars. And I bought my first car when I was 17. Yeah, which is a Ford Sunliner. You know, you, you haven't you haven't heard those were convertibles. Up, bought in it was a 2000. It was a 1957 Ford. It was a hard top, but it would fold into the trunk and become a convertible. But they don't even make those. They couldn't make. They only made them for four or five years, and that was the first car that I purchased. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so. I guess we can fast forward a little bit, but how did um, Islam shape your life as a father? Boy, in fact, in fact, Islam, I, I never intended to get married, never. I, I, I mean, I couldn't even perceive being married. When I accepted Islam, I said, well, I should be married. Uh, if I want to have a family, I should be married, have a wife, and have children. So Islam was everything as far as me making a decision to even be married in the first place. And so it shaped, it, it was, it was tantamount in my, in my acceptance of family life and, and, and fatherhood too. So what does having faith mean to you? Not religion, but faith. No, big difference. Big, 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 big difference between faith and, and religion. Because faith, in a sense, has nothing to do with religion. Faith is when, when, when you believe in something. There was a song a few years ago. Uh, I think it's by Marvin Gaye. When you believe in, no, Stevie Wonder. When you believe in things that you don't really, you know, can touch, that's faith. When you believe in things that lead you forward and that you really can't prove and you really can't accept something for, that's faith. Uh, to be able to move and to, to, to execute actions based on things that are, that are in, your, in, your, in your niece, in your soul, and in your head, and not have anybody to confirm that. That's faith. And what are the most conflicting things about being an American Christian? Hmm. Really not anything. Uh, American system. No, it's not. Being American Muslim is no different than if I was to, my, to me now. And my personal feelings. It's no different than if I lived in communist Russia, if I lived in Bulgaria. Now in America, the system is very, in my opinion, it's very adverse to Islam. Okay? And, and, and it's very not very adverse. I've learned some things historically on why it's adverse. But in, 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 as far as I'm concerned, in this system, it's, it's basically a Christian system. It's not that this country is a Christian country. 
It's not that it's set up under the premise of being a Christian country, but they accept Christianity, and there's a big difference, again, this is my opinion, between Christianity and Islam. Both of them are based supposedly on faith, okay? Okay? If I, bo both of them to be a good Christian or a good Muslim, you, you know, faith is what really keeps us the, it's the, it's the, it's the, gasoline or petroleum that keeps faith, keeps religion going, you know. But uh, there's a whole lot of difference, a lot of difference, inner working difference between Islam and uh, Christianity. And that, in a way, stands in, you know, in opposition to each other, to, to one another. So we're jumping around a little bit, but of course after I was born, um, so I was born, and then you know there were uh, complications, there was surgery, there was cancer involved. How did that? Um, I guess you could, as you said, put the fuel to keep you going. Uh, how did it that bowl between my health complications and you know keeping Islam in the forefront? How did that play that role? Well, as far as your birth and your so-called challenges, as far as health and stuff. Uh, Islam it, it was was a was a great support in that. Okay, now there's a lot of reasons people, and there's no no nobody's ever really told been able to tell us why you have health challenges this and that. But of course, I always felt it had a lot to do with the, what I was exposed to in Vietnam. You know, we were exposed to things in Vietnam that. No, the human being hadn't been exposed to before. I mean, in terms of chemicals, in terms of uh, stress levels, and so forth and so on. Islam really, really helped me. Really helped me as far as gaining the inner strength and being able to seek out the knowledge that would show us the way as far as uh, your health. And even my relationship with Qaeda was concerned. I've, I've seen a lot of people. You know, I mean, they were so depressed. I've seen people with children with, with the same retinoblastoma, the same, same cancer that you have. Their, their lives were just decimated, you know, under the strain of a child having, you know, this, this cancer, especially childhood cancer. I mean, cancer is fairly common in America. It's not exceptional, but it's fairly common. But people's ability to deal with varies tremendously from one to another. So. Islam has been a tremendous help as far as me and Kaida dealing with our child having cancer. So we did move a lot, you know, while I was growing up. But what is your reason? Well, only reason, only reason. The only, now, I'm a nomadic person. Now, nomadic meaning I'm a person. I, I like to live in different places. You know, I mean, it's... I, I consider my home is where my hat is, like the Temptations used to say. And so moving to me was kind of natural. But the reason that we moved in 100% of the cases was to deal with your cancer. That's, that's one. I met your mother in Atlanta. Your mother was born and raised in New York. Okay, So we met on the move. Okay, so uh, and I moved from Columbus, Ohio, to Atlanta, to to, to get involved in a better situation, and uh, 
course, I, I did get involved in a better situation. And your mother, I believe, I believe her reasons for moving from, from New York to Atlanta was for the same situation. I didn't know her at the time. So uh, now, when we were with you, the only reason that we ever moved was to, to better the situation as far as you were concerned, as far as health care is concerned, as far as, maybe, maybe for instance, we moved from Athens to Chattanooga. And that was be near a masters, a, a religious community, because there were no people of our religion in Athens, Tennessee. Now, the reason that that your mother wound up in Athens was because was I, I had made that decision. Because at the time, I decided to drive a truck. Because your mother couldn't work. I mean, she could work, but she her job was basically take care of you for the first seven, eight years of her life, you know. So... Uh, uh, that that's where I could make the amount of money I thought I thought we needed, and eventually we moved to Chattanooga. That was a reason for that movement. That was not a re- it wasn't a sense of move. Our doctors weren't in Chattanooga, but we had access to doctors in Chattanooga. We had access to doctors in uh, Atlanta. We had access to doctors in uh, uh, Knoxville. So in a sense, that was because of you. That was that was basically for religious purposes. Outside of that, ever ever move with me, your health needs. Yeah. So, do you think that every place we move, we always try to find a mosque or a masjid? Always, always, always. <laughs> but exception probably is here. You know, because we both have we're pretty. We we both been Saudi Arabia for Hajj. And so we've become really established. I don't. It's kind. Of, I kind of hesitate to say established in religion because you never, you never really are established. You because a Muslim sometimes been a Muslim for forty years, in more in more advanced than a person who's who's accepted a week ago. You know, because each individual according to his own what Allah has chosen for him, that determines how advanced he is. But uh, but. We never would ex- move anywhere and not, not, not. Our Islam is with us now. We have a. Our Islam is like, it's like a, a, a travel trailer, a motorhome or something. It kind of travels with you, you know. So tell me about your decision to become a Moor. Well, I didn't know what a Moor was. I met a fellow named Jethro L. Jethro, first name, last name L. E L, same as mine. And I met him in, when I was driving a taxi cab. We became very close friends. He was a technician. He fixed TVs and stuff. This back in the day when TVs could be fixed. And uh, he was very, very brilliant guy. So he introduced me to a lot of Moors in Atlanta. Okay. And I was I was known as, my name was Abdul Hadi Muhammad at the time. Now, I was originally born with the name uh, Arthur L. Tabor. Okay. But I legally changed it in the latter 70s to Abdul Hadi Muhammad. And so I was, as a and I didn't know what, I didn't, I didn't have any idea what a Moor was. I'd heard. But he introduced me to what, more, what a Moor was, you know, and uh, how, how Moors function, and introduced me to a lot of people in Atlanta who were Moors, a whole community of people who were Moors. And I learned for the first time that Moors were Muslims. They 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 were different than the Muslims. I always thought Muslims from people from the Far East, you know, from Saudi Arabia, from from 
Pakistan, from Syria. Those are the only people that I knew from Muslims. But he introduced me to Hope, and he and I became very close. Now, until I, now once I became commissioner, I, he and I weren't as close because he drove a cab. And it was sort of, it wasn't really spoken, but my whole, my whole environment changed once I became a commissioner because I, I had a whole different, but, but people not, not, not necessarily my friends. My friends were still the people in the tax administration. I had different objectives then that made me, that leaned me towards certain things, you know, and, uh, and yeah, so, so, yeah. So when did you officially become a lawyer? 2012. I legally became a lawyer in 2012. Okay. So what do you perceive to be the common misconception about Islam? Mm, well, I speak from misconception. I'll speak for my, my, my myself. Now, in the beginning, I never had misconception. I don't consider myself. I didn't have. I'm not a person who who perceives things. I don't consider myself a per prejudiced person. Even though I think all of us are prejudiced to a certain degree, but I never did assume. Uh, before I became a, a more, I mean, I'm a Muslim. I was a Christian, a good Christian, you know. I was, I was preparing to lead my life in Christian service, you know. And I never could see, I, I would hear people talk about Muslims in a negative sense. And I never could figure that out. This is after I became aware. After I got out of the military and I'd hear, I, I tried to join the, uh, it's still a Christian organization in Atlanta. I forget the name of his school. It's uh, inter interfaith seminary or something, and I and I was going to join one time, and uh, then, I, then I told them. Then I, of course I told them I was Muslim because I was a Muslim. They said, "Well, we we can't hey, you can't join us if you're Muslim." And I said, "Why?" <laughs> and I mean, they, they didn't give me an answer. So, but I began to wonder then. So I didn't try to join. They wanted me to join it. I, I wanted to. Uh, I had a, a BS degree, so I wanted to get me, a, you know, a, an advanced degree, you know. So, uh, and so I, I didn't join, but that, that of course set me out one. Of course, it didn't take me long to find out why, but, uh, but, but. So, when I speak about misconception, I think as the word misconception means that you had a conception to begin with. Then you have a misconception, meaning you're it's off, it's, it's off, off, off key, you know. So I think a lot of the uh, the conception is that number one, you try to compare it to Christianity, and there's no comparison. This it's no comparison outside the fact it's you find out that Islam is a way of life, and it's, it makes a big difference. It's not a religion; it's more of a formal thing, you know. Formal meaning. It's, it's a way it's a, it's a way that you, your whole life is, is changed you know and I don't think Christianity is that way now like I said I speak from a certain degree of authority because I was a Christian you know I'm a good Christian so I, I, don't, I, I think that a lot of the misconception of Islam is really the prejudice on the part of the Christian you know I see people comment on the social media I said, hmm, 
that's interesting why they would feel that way and would would go out of their way to comment about that because that's not true. Come from they'd be speaking from a degree of Christianity and I'd be speaking from a degree of a Muslim, but I've been both a true Christian and a true Muslim. And I was and I often think this is the same thing that that, that Bill Gibson and uh, and Collier. One thing I felt when in high school, and we used to have little religious groups. We had, <laughs> we had, yeah, we were the leading religious force in our school. I'm not sure we were. I used to, I used to teach around Athens. You know, I used to go to Baptist church. I used to go to Methodist church. I used to go to sometimes civic organizations and stuff. And I used to tell the man. You know, the more I learned, I didn't, I didn't know nothing about any of them. <laughs> so I said, the more I learn, I see more similarity and I do difference. I don't understand why the difference becomes so large over a period of time and why the similarities almost are overlooked, you know. And I said, I don't understand. This is when I was 17, 16 years old. And, and here I'm, well, I'm seven, almost 72 years old now. I feel the same way. For instance, now I see Moors, just as true, and they are studying the same book, you know, and and I have to mostly the people of color, you know, and they emphasize color. They they don't they don't necessarily dislike people who are who are not the same color, but they're a little hesitant against, you know, against Europeans, you know, because Europeans. Christianity is, is supposed to be for their own earthly salvation, and they look at it that way. So, yeah. So uh, I don't see a difference in Moors and Muslims, Moors and, uh, and Christians. I mean, Moors and, and Muslims. I don't. I don't see it. And I've said it many times. Of course, when I say it, I used to get the. I said, no. You know, I'm not saying I know more than they know, but I've been. I've walked. The paths that they haven't walked, so I, I have I have a certain amount of authority when I speak of those things. So, what would be your advice to those who are recently converted to Islam or even considering converting? There was a there was a I want to say Shakespeare, but it says above all things to thine own self be true. There's a, there's a quote that says that, and I'm saying you really have to have a a, a true and clear vision. Of what you believe, and when you convert to something, you don't, you know. Now, even the people say, I, "I had a sister, a woman, who uh, was, not, was not a Christian in Atlanta." That I knew, that I really knew, she was a I drove a band for one of the services that, that I went. You know, that, 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 like I said, my job was was uh, was overseeing all the transportation for the city of Atlanta. So I knew her. I knew her. I knew her in in that position. But she was a friend of Ed Hope, which is Jim Hope's brother. And uh, she told me one time she's converted to Christianity. She said, "Oh, I, I'm a Christian now. I don't need to know nothing about nothing else." And I listened to that. I said the last thing, the time I talked to her. That is probably probably part of the problem because people want to accept Islam. They want to accept Christianity. They want to accept Judaism. They want to accept Buddhism. And they think they know everything, and they don't. They don't. So I'd say keep an open mind. There used to be a DJ in Atlanta that says keep an open mind, but don't let your brains fall out. I used to end the show, 
And, I, and, and, and you know, it was just a little catchy phrase. But, you know, he, you know I think he's right. You know, because you do need to keep your mind open. Because there's all kinds. I lost my I mean, God has uh, has all kind of information going through your head. You can't even see this information swirling around in here. Like a galaxy. Yeah, like we don't even know. As galaxies, like, like we have these pictures on the wall. Now, this, most, a lot of people, well, not on the day there, you are right there. A lot of people in here are no longer in our, in our sphere, you know? But their spirit is still in our sphere. And we, 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 we individually don't even have a kind of, a kind of, our preconception of death, you know, is, is so far off. Or we think we know, but we don't know. But I'd like to say you have to really keep an open mind, but you can't let your brain cause. You got to keep your logic, you know, you have to keep all this in mind. You know, you can read the English version, the commentary. And and, and it, it would be based on an English-speaking person, a person who may have been trained in English, you know? But one thing I learned from the Moors is English, the words in English have such a vast meaning. You, but you have to be sure. So don't be sitting around thinking you got everything when you don't have everything. I'm getting back around the, the questions you asked. Uh, what what do you do when a person is recently, uh, more or less what you ask, uh, recently converted to a religion, any religion, I'm not speaking about Islam, not speaking about Christianity, or some of the ones I mentioned, some of the ones I didn't mention, but you have to be sure, because your soul, this thing here, your soul, your, your mass, depends on it, because you ain't through, you know, somebody calling, boom, 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 kill everybody in the house, you ain't through, though. It it don't end when when once the, the blood, blood stops or your body gets tight. No, it don't end. It ain't, it ain't that easy. You know, it ain't that easy. So thank you, Daddy. Well, who you call me, Daddy? Yes, Daddy. Oh, you know me that well. <laughs> okay, all right. You're welcome, man. Thank you very much for the interview. Thank you for listening to the Living Legacy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and download so you don't miss the next episode. If you want to learn more, you can visit ZakiraNayar.com. Be sure to share with your friends and suggest any topic that you want to be talked about.